Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing up another episode in our self-care series, all on the topic of alcohol. But before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they help us reach more people. So of course, we'd appreciate it. Today's show is a part of our self-care series. Once a month, we'll be focusing on a new area of self-care. Life gets overwhelming for all of us and the sense of getting lost in a sea of to-dos, worry, and anxiety seems almost inevitable. Self-care can be described as the active process of making your body and mind pleasant, a pleasant place to inhabit by filling your own cup up first, which ensures you have enough to give others. Self-care is a huge topic with lots to unpack, so we're doing it one topic at a time. And today, as I said, we are revisiting the topic of alcohol. We have Sumner Brooks on the podcast again. Uh, She is a mom, dietitian, and author based in Portland, Oregon. She's passionate about helping women on their recovery journeys from eating disorders, chronic dieting, and alcohol use. Welcome to the podcast, Sumner. All right, today we've got Sumner Brooks with us. Sumner, welcome back to our podcast. Thank Uh, you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) We're so happy to have you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you can kind of scroll back through our podcast episodes. We actually interviewed you back in May for our episode on how to raise an intuitive eater. And that was number 137, if you're interested. But today we're focusing on a whole new topic, and that is alcohol. So back then when we interviewed you, you mentioned that you no longer drink, which is why we thought you'd be perfect for today's self-care episode. So Sumner, just tell us a little bit about your background when it comes to alcohol. Yeah, sure. So um, I just want to kind of start with saying that um, this is a newer area for me to be publicly talking about and um, things like that. So um, if it sounds a little like wishy-washy, it's because I'm still definitely getting used to talking about uh, my story with alcohol, but I'm also really um, interested and excited about talking about it because um, listening to other stories was incredibly helpful for me. And it was definitely something that helped me make the move um, to change my relationship with alcohol. So I quit drinking in May of 2020, a few months into the pandemic. And I guess I would summarize my history with alcohol um, down to, I actually, I started drinking as a teenager and I think early on um, developed a reliance on it for uh, social anxiety um, and just kind of, you know, letting my guard down and relaxing and having a good time. And then I really started to experience some pretty serious, um, pretty serious things like into my college years. So I had a number of um, experiences of really over drinking and having alcohol poisoning. Um, I would say that I put myself in a lot of risky situations 
And I know that none of that is really that unique or unusual because we know that binge drinking is seriously a problem in college age folks. Um, But it's not something that I ever really stopped and thought about making a change um, well into my late 30s. So a, a few years ago, I realized that there felt like there was a barrier between me and the way that my life sort of looked or seemed to be on the outside and how I felt on the inside. And I think that I really struggled with figuring out, you know, why do I not feel at peace or why do I not feel like I'm able to enjoy my life or enjoy the present moment or maybe like authentically feel satisfied uh, with my life. And I really started to work a lot around that question, you know, like kind of inside it sort of felt like, what is wrong with me? You know, like, why do I feel so bad all the time? Why do I have this depressed mood? Um, You know, why do I question so many things in life? Why do I feel unhappy? And I started to get curious on if alcohol was part of this problem um, because that was something that was coming really into into my life on pretty much an everyday basis, except for uh, during my two pregnancies. And so what I decided to do was try to moderate my drinking for a couple of years. Um, and when you read about kind of sobriety stories or you start getting into the sober curious world, you realize that this is a really common um, approach. You know, people try to moderate or set rules around how much they drink. So I did that. I set up some boundaries for myself, like I wouldn't have more than one or two drinks, or I wouldn't drink during the week, or I would only have one glass of wine with dinner, things like that. And inevitably, um, I could stick to the rules for a little while. And then at some point, whether it was a week later or a few weeks later, I would just spiral right back into over drinking. So drinking multiple drinks per night um, and then feeling really uh, guilty or just distressed about it the next day. And it came to a point where I didn't feel like I had control over how much I drank anymore. That no matter how many of those rules I tried to set, I really saw that I could not stop. So I felt really addicted to alcohol, actually. Um, And it was also, I was experiencing, I think, still some postpartum depression from my second child. And so I started to work with a um, substance abuse therapist who recommended that I should stop drinking. And she actually recommended that I get all the alcohol out of the house. And that scared me so intensely um, that it actually increased my anxiety (laughs) and made me want to drink more. Um, So I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is so messy. This is so disturbing. Like I really have a, a problem here. I can't even do, you know, what my therapist is recommending I do. So it took me a few months to really see and come to some truth with myself that what I needed to do is actually stop drinking. And at that point, the question to me was how? Like, how can I live a life without alcohol? You know, I mean, 
going to wineries and um, having drinks with friends. I mean, my whole social life revived, result, uh, revolved around alcohol. We got married at a winery. We had all these like wine memberships. I mean, it really was a pretty big part of my life, which I know um, is something that a lot of people feel and struggle with when they think they want to stop drinking. So I entered a bit of like a grieving process and I, I realized that what I needed was I needed help. So I started reading a lot of Quitlet and I got a sobriety coach. And for me, that was the point that I actually became serious about stopping drinking and I haven't had a drink since. Wow. Uh, that was so vulnerable. And we truly appreciate that. I, I honestly, as you're, the whole time you're talking, I'm just thinking we can make a whole episode just about your whole journey to quitting alcohol, actually, because I've also been reading some, I love that you called it quitlet. I was like, did she mean chicklet? Like what? <laughs> oh, quit. <laughs> Quitlet. Duh. That I love that. So yeah, I feel like we could do a whole episode on that. And as you're speaking, I also, and I know you've talked about this a little bit, there's so many similarities between diet culture and drinking culture. And I know we we've also talked about this on on the podcast, but when you're saying that your doctor told you to just quit, how that kind of made you almost have some quote unquote diet backlash or drinking backlash, similar to the I'm using the whole intuitive eating um principles now, but it just it just sounds so familiar uh, to what I hear from people trying to, you know, have a better relationship with food. So yeah, thank you for that so much. Yeah, I think there are a lot of parallels there. We touched on it a little bit in the last time I chatted with you, but definitely I think mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So without alcohol in your life, Gina and I recently did a a, a non-alcoholic beer and mocktail uh episode just kind of in preparation for today's show, but what are you drinking, Sumner? Oh, I love this. So gosh, I mean, and I just want to be really honest with people, you know, probably the first year that I stopped drinking alcohol, um, I felt very dependent on having a replacement in my hand. You know, I had to definitely keep up with sort of just the behavioral habit of having something to drink while I was cooking or having something to drink while I was at a social event. Um, so I was really mindful of allowing myself to do whatever I needed to do to stay sober. So if that meant, you know, thinking a lot about what my mocktail or NA drink was going to be, then I let myself do that. Um, and it's been really interesting now that it's been coming up on two and a half years it's not something that, that I feel is important to me anymore to really focus on what am I drinking. I've, I feel like I've truly kind of come to another level where I drink if I'm thirsty, <laughs> which uh -huh. sounds so basic and, you know, just every day. But I, I, I'm not reliant on having something in my hand anymore, which is just an interesting different phase. But when I do want something to drink, um, I like fizzy things. I like kombucha. I like sparkling waters. But for an NA beer, I really go for the Crux IPA Nomo. It's kind of my go-to. Wait, say that again? Um, it's by Crux uh, Fermentation. I think they're based out of Bend, but they have a great NA beer. It's called Nomo. That's a cute name. That is. <laughs> Aw, well, perfect. We'll have to look for that one, Gina. Yeah. And 
in a recent Instagram post, Sumner, you said a quote. You said, sometimes self-care is just being in the pain of reality instead of trying to avoid, distract, or numb. Build that slowly like an emotional muscle. Can you unpack that a bit for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that a huge part of my sobriety journey has been um, just, I like to think of it as an emotional muscle, but basically building the tolerance to feel emotions as they come up, particularly uncomfortable emotions, um, and letting them land and not feeling like I need to react or erase them or fix them or run from them. Um, Personally, I feel like this is one of the superpowers that you get from sobriety is because of the work that it takes to stop the behavior of numbing or distracting, um, you end up building a different tolerance for uncomfortable emotions. Um, And let's just face it, you know, life doesn't feel good a lot of the times, you know, we've got great moments and really happy feelings. And then we have really unpleasant, difficult feelings. And I think anybody who's interested in living a sober life might relate to struggling with that. You know, gosh, what do we do if we can't escape this feeling? And the last couple of years, I have had so many moments where I would just turn to my husband and say, oh my God, right now is that moment when I would go, go pour a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey, just literally to get out of my head or to stop thinking about this or to not feel this. So it became really, really clear to me that when I would be in the most uncomfortable of my emotions, I was always running. I was never allowing them to land. And then I also wasn't giving myself the opportunity to deal with whatever the problem was. And that, I think, is really what leads you into kind of this terrible cycle in alcohol use disorder, which is you have a negative feeling, you avoid, distract, or numb it, and then you never really get to the root of the problem. And so it's sort of like a recurring cycle. And when you get out of that cycle and kind of get off of that carousel, you build a lot of skills and a lot of coping techniques that are truly life-changing in my opinion. Yeah. And I, and I think too, I'm just kind of thinking about the people in my life, myself included, I think to myself, I don't necessarily have any, I've never been someone who turned to alcohol for big stressors in my life, but I do turn to alcohol for what I think you mentioned. And I is more like a social, social anxiety, which people might not think of that as necessarily a problem or something that you should sit with. But since I have been drinking less and I don't automatically go to drink, you know, grab a beer or a cocktail when I go to a party, that is an emotion that I've been sitting with more often and just, okay, you know what? I actually do have the ability to talk to people and I'm a pretty good talker and I do have conversation skills. And, you know, I've just kind of been pushing them aside for so many years because I've just been going straight to alcohol and sort of waiting for the alcohol to kick in before I feel comfortable. And that's, 
you know, if, so if, if people are listening to this and don't necessarily associate with pushing aside more strong emotions, even just the emotion of that social anxiety, or even just thinking that you need an, an alcoholic beverages beverage to be social can also be similar to what you're saying too. Oh, um, totally. And Gina, yeah. I can totally relate to that. And again, because I think stories are helpful for people, you know, I have found myself so surprised, like, not only do I not need it, but like the conversations are better. They're more meaningful. I remember them. I have better relationships. And I actually am a fun person, even without <laughs> drinking, which I think was a huge surprise to me. <laughs> yes, I know. It's so true. And you can actually have fun because that was the hardest thing for me. I am not saying that I have. I am sober. I am not. Uh, I still do drink on occasion. But I drink significantly less. And that was something that I was very afraid of. Like, would I actually be able to have fun without alcohol? And I will tell you, I'm having a good year so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And I think, you know, it's important to to let listeners know, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how somebody will feel right away when they stop drinking. I think there's a lot of different ways um, this can kind of roll out in the beginning for people. People might have more anxiety. They might, you know, feel worse in the beginning. And that certainly doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong or that you can't end up finding, a, you know, a good way to be sober and also have positive social experiences. Um, it definitely is a process. But I would say to people, like, let yourself explore that. Give yourself some time work through whatever feels hard about that. And there really truly are our rewards. Mm -hmm. um, we were just at this event a couple weeks ago. It was called Farmathon. And it was like a local sort of all day music festival here um, around where I live. And there were all these bands and people were dancing. And I never, you know, because of COVID, especially like I certainly haven't really been anywhere where there was dancing going on. And so, you know, for me, that was another new step was like, can I, can I even dance in public sober? <laughs> like, what would that feel like? What would that be like? And I did, and it was fun. And I was like, wow, this is just so amazing that I can have this life without having to have the negative repercussions that I felt from alcohol. Thank you. That's a real, a really good point that you made. Just be patient, and you might not feel, you might not feel like sitting with your feelings or that calmness at first. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a journey. Absolutely, that's a good reminder. And yeah, uh, dancing I think is more fun when you're actually sober. I had a similar experience at a work party where everyone was drinking. I was the only one not, and I was, I mean, I was a hit on the dance floor. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. You know, many of us get really caught up on this idea that only people who have alcoholism in their family or who binge drink regularly should be worried about alcoholism, or I should say their relationship with alcohol. Do you agree with that? So for my personal opinion, I'm not, you know, I'm not the end all be all expert here. Um, I don't like to think of, you know, that there just is two options, healthy or unhealthy. Um I do think that it's going to depend on the individual. For me, there's no healthy amount of drinking. Um, I have certainly spoken with enough people who are now sober to know that healthy drinking can easily 
you know, look quote healthy on the outside and actually feel really awful for someone on the inside. And when we live in a culture that normalizes drinking so much, what I actually think is that most people who drink really haven't ever questioned how it's impacting their health because it's just so culturally um, accepted and pervasive. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I certainly know people who would say that they're healthy or who are objectively healthy and drink. And if that works for them, that's fine. I don't have any judgment on that. Um, I just know that for me, it was definitely not adding to my health at all in any way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too are just scared to to even admit that maybe, maybe they have a problem because they know the next step then is going to be sobriety. Because that's honestly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when it comes to alcohol, if you even have, if you think you have even just a a slight problem with it, generally the recommendation is quit. And that scares people so so much. People. Yeah. 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 So, you know, this is kind of a specific question, but it has to do with the dietary guidelines for Americans. And I'm sure you're aware of this because we've heard it, um, you know, from, for, for many, many years, it hasn't changed, but essentially they, they say that, you know, drinking can actually be heart healthy as long as uh, for women, they drink less than or one serving or less per day. And then for men, two servings or less per day. I just kind of wonder what your thoughts are about that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's different um, conclusions around this in the literature. Um, more recently, they have um, or there have been studies that indicate that any amount of drinking um, increases your risk for a few different types of cancer. Um, and that, I don't know, I, I don't want to say for sure on any of the research because this is not necessarily my area of expertise, but um, you don't need alcohol to have a healthy heart, right? It's not something that we have to have to keep our bodies healthy or our hearts healthy. Um, I think that that's been really kind of widely distributed and is a myth. Um, I don't know. I, I don't agree that it is something that adds to our health. I think that there are Benefits that people feel, like for example, I feel like I can, you know, relax at the end of the day. And to somebody that might be, they may interpret that to mean that this is like a healthy pattern that I have, or it helps me let go of my stress, or it helps me unwind or go to sleep a little better, any of those things. And I can see how people can interpret that as being something that's good for them. But I also think that we can achieve all of those things in other ways that don't require taking in a drug, which alcohol is a drug. I mean, and that that's a fact that's not arguable. Um, I think the way that people interpret that fact can be really different. I think it's also important to know, and I and I remember because I would always go back and forth with with myself mentally, like, well, I'm having a drink; it's healthy, healthy for me. But then on the weekends when I'm having two or three drinks that defeats that that gets that literally trumps all the benefit of my one drink that I had each day during the week. And I don't think people realize that it's like, well, that's literally just one drink. No more, no more than that for, for women and and two for men. And that's so hard to do. 
especially over time, most people end up drinking more and more. And then if you have any day of the week when you're drinking more than that, that it's the benefits negated. Yeah. And I think that that's something that the dietary guidelines sometimes forget or never. And they, think, and, you know, it's one thing to see something like in a research study or, you know, statistically, but in real life, what I saw a lot was people taking that um, conclusion of oh, drinking is heart healthy and using it as a way to um, defend the reason why they need to drink so much. So if that's where we're going with that, then it's definitely not helping people. Mm, I love it. Uh, all right, Sumner. So drinking culture is is definitely normalized and ingrained into our society. We know this. We've talked about it. Uh, and as Gina mentioned, similar in some ways to diet culture, it's it's very per- pervasive. Um, but we don't think of it as damaging um, necessarily, for, or, or many people don't. What do you think are signs that you may have a problem with that someone, not you, that someone may have a problem with alcohol? Or signs that someone is dependent on alcohol, even uh, though they may consider what they're drinking to be a normal amount. I'll yeah, use air quotes there around normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think some some really common signs are um, if you feel uncomfortable admitting how much you drink, honestly. So that very common experience of being in the doctor's office and being asked how much alcohol you drink. If you immediately feel like you can't be totally honest, I would say that might be a little flag. Um, I think that if you think about alcohol a lot, you know, like when am I going to have my next drink or will there be alcohol there or will I be able to drive or not safely? Um, Well, I mean, obviously that's a good question, but, but having kind of a question mark around how much can I drink if I'm going to drive instead of just saying I shouldn't drink and drive. Um, So I feel like a lot of that's kind of this internal negotiating and questioning that happens for people who aren't ready to talk about it out loud or admit to someone else that they might be sober curious or they might be um, curious if they have a problem. And, and again, from like the sober groups that I'm a part of and listening to different stories, I think that that is a really common first step that you begin questioning inside if things are okay, or you have just a little gut instinct, like, wow, I'm turning to alcohol a lot, or wow, I've noticed I have a lot of hangovers, even when it's really important for me to have you know, good energy and good sleep. I wonder, I wonder why I'm prioritizing alcohol over these other things. Um, for me as a mom, sadly, I noticed it coming up a lot around my kids. Um, why was I not willing to set a good example about not drinking around my children? Um, why would I ever get in the car with my children after I had had a drink? I mean, that was that's something that I did, but it's something that a lot of parents do. Um, I, and I mean, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but so I sort of think this like internal questioning, and I think, you know, you know, if you start to think about, do I have a problem with alcohol? That actually is a sign that you, you may have a problem with alcohol. That's helpful. Thank you. 
Right. So the episode is all about can alcohol be self-care? And I know we've talked about this a little bit, you know, your argument that you don't necessarily need alcohol to take care of your heart, which I think we both agree. Uh, all three of us, I should say, uh, you know, we don't necessarily need alcohol to help de-stress us and relax you or to help us sleep, which is something that we ne- haven't necessarily said in this episode, but we've talked about it in the past, how alcohol actually doesn't help you sleep. It actually does the opposite or it actually disturbs your sleep. Um, but these are some of the the arguments that people make for drinking. You know, it helps me relax at the end of the day. It helps my heart. It helps me sleep. Uh, you know, or they also make an argument such as, well, I just use alcohol when I'm trying to have fun. So with all those things in mind, for anyone who's listening, you know, sort of, do you think that alcohol can ever play a healthy role if used in a healthy way, <laughs> a moderate way in self-care? Mm, my gosh. I'm so not a person that's going to ever give like all or nothing answers really to anything. I know that for me, alcohol has no place in self-care. And I have been able to figure this out with certainty because I've lived both ways. And I tried for so long to allow alcohol to be... um, to have a quote, normal or healthy place in my life. And my self-care has improved so much since I stopped drinking. Like not only do I not use alcohol as a form of self-care, but I've been able to discover new ways of self-care and that keep improving over time. Um, And I have replaced replaced using alcohol for self-care with with other things that actually bring me joy, that actually bring me rest, that actually help me feel restored. Um, So I feel like self-care is so much better without alcohol. Um, And I don't know, I would be curious to know like what, what's coming up for either, either of you two or what you hear from other people because I personally feel like every kind of justification for alcohol as self-care can really be done in a different way. Well, yeah. I mean, you said it at the top of the podcast. My biggest, the biggest argument that I hear from my friends and family is that they need the alcohol because it helps them de-stress at the end of a day. In fact, I actually had someone ask me the other day because I told them that I don't drink alcohol daily or you know, often. And they literally asked me, what do you do then to relax at the end of the night? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that question because probably just last year I would have said, yeah, what do I do? But when I heard that, it was just a reminder that that really is what a lot of people think of when they think of rest and relaxation at the end of the day, alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, their they're, they're drug of choice or their, you know, whatever, whether it's, you know, a, a cigarette or a favorite meal. I mean, there's so many ways people use to de-stress at the end of the day, but for most people, many people in my life, at least it's alcohol. And so when they asked that question, I was just, I, I just really, I don't know. I didn't know how to answer the question. I, I in a, I, I wanted to be kind in my answer and, and not, you know, sound snooty about it, but I, I, I do anything but drink because I have found just like what you said, that when I do drink actually in the long run, it makes me more stressed. Yeah. There's um, always a, there's always a cost to having even a drink and there's no cost to 
you know, letting myself have a few minutes of quiet time or having a really good connection and doing something fun with my kid or um, saying, you know what, I'm super stressed out right now. What I need to do is, is go outside for a walk or, you know, play with my dog for a little bit, or I need some tea, or I just need to be angry and I need to talk to a friend or I need to cry or I need to distract myself and read a good book. I mean, those things are really effective and there's no cost to them. So to me, that's the the way that I think about it is like, yeah, you could have a drink or you could just kind of vent and release and talk to a friend. And one of the, they both might feel like they work, but one of them has a cost associated with it. Talk to us about your certification you're considering working towards and how do you plan to help people who struggle with alcohol um, in, in the future? So there's a few different certifications that I've looked up, that I've started investigating, um, and I would love to get certified as an alcohol recovery coach and work with women, um, but not just in the alcohol sphere. I'd love to work with people who feel like they have kind of an intersecting or overlapping struggle with both disordered eating and alcohol use, um, because I feel like those are definitely two areas that I feel equipped in assisting people with that is really um, kind of a missed area. You know, you can get a lot of, find a lot of support for sobriety and alcohol use disorder, or you can find a number of different places to get support for disordered eating. But that conversation of the two things that intersect and overlap um, is really not something that you can commonly find. So I think that that's a space where we need more support for people. Um, and I'm definitely motivated to, to find a way to get into that space and, and help people. I love that. We need that. <laughs> we need that badly. So mm-hmm. that's, that's great. All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining us on our podcast. And as always, it was a pleasure. I love following you on Instagram. I know Nick, Nicole does as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you often are calling out misconceptions about being sober. And then you also post some fun mocktails every once in a while. Will you share with our listeners where they can find you? Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm on Instagram at intuitive eating RD. All right. Thanks again and have a great trip. Okay. Thanks to you both. Take care. Thanks, Sumner. Take care. All right. That was awesome. She is amazing. Uh, just so, I don't know, just really gave me some some good motivating tips and hopefully uh, everyone out there listening learned a few things. Uh, what do you think, Nicole? She's a great speaker. Just very, she was so honest and raw at the beginning. I, I was like, oh, just a lot. I mean, in, in all the best ways, she's very vulnerable. Absolutely. It takes a lot to be able to admit, you know, that you have a problem and that you, you need support. So Um, We really appreciate her so much. And I really hope that, I mean, what a great thing to to have as an offering. You know, if she had, if she can combine her knowledge with intuitive eating and then, you know, the alcohol portion of it as well, coaching in that, that would be just such a a great combination. And I'm really excited for her Mm -hmm. uh, on, on her journey there. Coming up on September 24th, we will be dishing about my half marathon training and then a little bit more on just endurance training in general. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com.
Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, until next time, be well. Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.